Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I am your host, Dpalm. Follow me on Twitter at Dpalm66. Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod and follow the entire MTR network at, you guessed it, the MTR network. You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere. Podcasts are given away for absolutely free. 99. Leave those five-star reviews on iTunes. Read what you wrote on the air. Good to be back, guys. Um little life update. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, first of all, thank you. Second of all, you know, we just got a, a new house. There's been a lot of moving, a lot of uh, figuring things out, trying to make his house as uh, comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible. But uh, that also means that it's been a little while since I've stepped in front of a microphone in any capacity. And I would say this is the first podcast I've recorded in the new home. Except on Saturday, I sat down with uh, Aaron Freeman from the Unreasonable Fridays podcast, and or podcast network, excuse me. And we recorded a great hour and a half. We talked about everything. You're going to hear a lot of it today. But I didn't record on either device I used to record. And that is a rookie mistake. That is a new mistake. That is a mistake I made because I was in a new room. I was in a new setting, a new surroundings, and I fumbled the ball. But I'm back. I'm going to get you guys something new because, honestly, if you got in the podcast from Saturday, you wouldn't have my reaction to everything that happened on Sunday. And trust me, we're going to get into it. But you may notice from the title of this episode, the reason we're here, the reason for this season, it came a little later in the year than we're used to. But it does not come when you want it. But it's always right on time. Happy LeBronica to everyone out there. For those who don't know, this is always, is and always will be a LeBron James Stan account. We uh, celebrate our king and all things. And I'm very happy to see the king in the conference finals. I want to make that very clear. I am not a Lakers fan. I will not be supporting the Lakers once LeBron leaves. I did not support them until LeBron got there. We are people who have similar purposes right now, Lakers fans. I am not, repeat not, one of you. Before we get into all the reasons we're here, including, but not limited to, the fucking Falcons. I want to do a little hat tip here to uh, Naomi Osaka. So in the time we've been away, Naomi Osaka won her second U.S. Open and did so in commanding fashion. She was losing to Victoria Azarenka in the final 1-6. She lost the first set, but she stormed back to win the last two sets, 6-3, 6-3, reclaiming the title she first won in 2018. Um, It took her, I think it was a little over an hour, 53 minutes to win the championship. She did that. And what's of note for me in this moment is not just that she won, not just that she did it in such a wonderful way it's that after each tournament she wore a face mask for interviews and each face mask had the name of a black person being killed or racist violence in america brianna taylor elijah mcclain tamir rice Philona castile george avery Ahmad, george floyd excuse me ahmaud avery and trayvon martin in the post-game interview um one of the interviewers said what did the masks mean to you what was the statement you were trying to send and she looked that white man in the eye and said what statement did you receive and in a few years, like when she's settled in some more, Naomi Osaka will stop right there. And she'll let that white man stew on national television. But she rescued him. She kept talking and she explained further the point that she was trying to, um, to, to elucidate through her actions and through her statements over the course of the tournament. Because make no mistake, she still plays tennis. This is still a country club sport. This is still one of those things where it's like, oh, they're in here. And it's not lost on me that the mainstream media is willing to embrace Naomi Osaka because of lots of reasons. But it's also not lost to me that she has been unrepentant and unwavering in her blackness. And 
it's refreshing and it's nice to see her it's not nice because i want to make this point the fact that she has to do this disgusts me she's a 22 year old woman who is the number one three player in the world she's one of ma another major she shouldn't have to spread her light over these things she shouldn't have to dedicate part of herself part of her celebration into reminding the world that these injustices continue but we don't live in the world we want we live in the world we live in and so i tip my cap to her i wag my finger at the media who for years ignored serena williams or treated her in a certain way or covered her in a certain way because she did not fit some sort of ridiculous aesthetic desires of these horny sports writers Serena was talked about so Naomi could be celebrated. And the fact that Naomi is not only knowledgeable of this truth, but is using it to further the messages and to reach behind her for the next generation, your Sloan Stevenses. Like, and all this is through that lens of, I wish she didn't have to. I wish she could just be a kick-ass tennis player and whoop these people and, 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 and stun on them and be done with it. But she can't. And she knows it. And she seems to be okay with it, even if it makes me uneasy. So I tip my cap to her and I wag my finger, my friends. That's right, going back to a little uh, cold burr rapport for all you nerds out there like me. <sighs> Tyron Woodley. Now, for those of you who don't know who that is, God bless you. But Tyron Woodley is a MMA fighter who fights for UFC. He had a fight this past weekend against Colby Covington, um, and he we lost. For those who don't know, Colby Covington does what we but it's not. I don't want to call it and make it reductive as MAGA cosplay. But I don't know what's in his heart. I don't give a shit. What he does is he comes out here and he says that oh, Black Lives Matter are terror. All this all this horrible, horrific, terrible shit that shouldn't even be covered. But because he says the things he says, and because he won that fight against a man who was using Black Lives Matter as a costume, which we will get to in a second, I'm having to hear actual people who actually do things respond to his bullshit. And there's been no outcry from the MMA media or fans. Now, some might say, well, that's because they don't feel it's their place. But I say it's because he's saying the quiet part loud. We're talking about an organization which proudly and loudly has aligned itself with a racist in office. Dana White spoke at the RNC. So, yeah, it's um, let's talk about Tyrone for a second, because Woodley is. He was trying to sell a fight. And that's one of the reasons, one of the problems that we've seen this this summer spring whatever you want to call it this time period that just is occurring currently is that we've watched people take black lives matter and things it stands for and co-opt it for whatever they want and for tyron woodley it was get these buys up get my money up and move on it was a costume to him it was cosplay to him and it was just as injurious as everything colby covington does so would i have liked to see colby covington get knocked out absolutely Will I lose any sleep over him not getting knocked out? Not especially. But will I ever think of Tyrone Woodley or him again? Probably not. Let's go back to some good news in sports because last night, news broke. 
Bubba Wallace is walking away from Hendrix Motorsports. That came out a couple weeks ago, didn't really cover it. Now, he has a new home. Because Bubba Wallace will be joining a brand new NASCAR team, backed by Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. This is big. Reading Bubba Wallace's tweet about the announcement, this is a unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I believe is a great fit for me at this point in my career. I am grateful and humbled that they believe in me, and I'm super pumped to begin this adventure with them. Guys, so many people listening to me right now don't know who Denny Hamlin is, and that's fine. It's a, he's a racer. It's not hugely important that you know who Denny Hamlin is, but Denny Hamlin's very good at what he does as far as driving cars. You all know who Michael Jordan is. This will not be a half-shit endeavor, unlike the Bobcats slash Hornets. I joke, I joke, I kid, I kid. Relax, Charlotte fans. Put down your pitchforks, whatever they carry in Charlotte. I say all that to say this. One of the reasons why Bubba Wallace, and this is not me, this is other people who know more about NASCAR, but one of the reasons Bubba Wallace hadn't really seen the success we thought we'd see is because, honestly, they hadn't put the money behind it. They hadn't put the car, they hadn't put the funding behind it. We got funding now. Let's see what Bo Wallace is going to do. This is very impressive to me, very exciting to me. And it's, uh, as NASCAR has said for years, they're growing this. They're trying to grow the sport in other demographics. And for years, it felt like lip service. And maybe, just maybe, this is the first step to it becoming something more. Because I think NASCAR, whether through hook or crook, found a way and reason to embrace the changing zeitgeist. Where the world went from... Woke equals broke to whatever we're in now. Performative workness, I don't know. NASCAR took the opportunity to do what they wanted to do. They got rid of the Confederate flag fucking final. They made large, bold statements, proclamations. They stood behind this exceedingly popular black driver. And the question for me was always, well, what's next? Because this is always super nice. Like, I don't want to downplay this. Seeing the Confederate flag removed from NASCAR is something I thought I'd never see in my time. And for those of you who scoff, come live in the South. I never thought I'd see it. So that's not a small thing for me at all. But this, this here, for Bubba Wallace particularly, is a big deal. And I commend him and I commend Hamlin and Jordan for uh, finding a team, fielding a team that I think can actually be successful in NASCAR's highest series. So one of the reasons I have struggled with getting back on the podcast track is because this has largely been, no spoilers here, a college football-centric podcast. For years, I've kind of built my brand around CFB to the point that if you know even the beginnings of my podcasting, it's undeniable. I was living in Philadelphia. I picked up a microphone because my old roommate, uh, Chad Foy, you've heard him on here before, had started writing for a Georgia football website. And I didn't want to write because writing is boring and sad and lonely. And I did some. But I was said I said to the editor-in-chief at the site, I said, hey, Andrew, have you ever thought of doing an audio component for the site? And Doogee Podcast was born for 77, 78 episodes. I ran that thing. I, uh, I booked guests. We ended up having it one for one season. We were on internet radio. So I had to do an extra hour every week talking just Georgia football. And when I came over to MTR, it was really important for me that I talked about more because I played college football. I owe a lot of the things that are in my life to college football, to the college football industrial complex. But that doesn't mean I'm ignorant to the ills of it. One of my old teammates called me yesterday, actually, and we were talking for a while about how the trade-off that we all made at Columbia, 
We said, oh, we're going to do these football things, even though we knew we weren't going to make a league, but it was going to build a, a foundation for us to earn money in the future or, or have a better life, whatever. Da, 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 da. Most players aren't afforded that. Most players aren't going to college with designs of not making the NFL. We all know the statistics of who actually makes it. For us, for me and my teammates, it was a trade-off. It was a, you know what, I'm going to go do this thing. And for my senior year, they put me on schedule cards and like subway placards with a bunch of the other seniors. So whatever you want to say, oh, it's Columbia football, who really cares? Yeah, that's a great point. Didn't probably move a bunch of ticket sales. But that professional approach increased donor giving. You see what I'm saying? And if a couple billboards in New York for a team no one cares about can increase donor giving, what do you think is happening in places where this stuff matters? So for years, I've been walking away, like slowly, like tepidly, but definitely walking from college football. And I look at the landscape right now. I look at the landscape where in-class, in-person classes are being canceled across the nation, where colleges are now the place for super spreader events of this global pandemic for which we have no real grasp over still yet because America. It's hard. It was too hard for me to reconcile everything I know about this enterprise, everything I'm watching about how it's enveloping and developing in the current environment, and then to say, ah, let's go watch some college football. This past week, the Big Ten came back. And they said it's about increased testing. They said it's about X, Y, and Z. The Big Ten's back the same reason the SEC and ACC never left. I assume the Big 12, I assume they're, they're playing what they call football. Take these jokes, Big 12. Um, but they're all back for one reason. It's for money. Same reason kids are allowed to move into UNC and then forced to move out once their check's cleared. It's the same reason... Colorado has in partnership now with a fucking casino. A college football team, college, a college, but most of the football team has a partnership with a casino. Let that shit sink in. This is a sport where they say they cannot pay the players. That's untenable. That these black lives getting hit on Saturday are only exist to wind the pockets of bureaucrats and to allow other sports to exist. And now, we're going to put them out there in a pandemic. UNC is going to go three weeks between games because their opponents keep having outbreaks. Gumbo, gumbo, gumbo. Down in LSU at Coach O, he said most of his team has it or has had it. My love for college football does not weigh my sense of obligation to these kids. And let's remind you that these are children, 18 to 22 year olds. We want to play. Since the fuck, when do we care what children think? I wanted to play every time I got hurt. You know any concussions I had recorded ever in sports? I played football from 10 years old to 22. I wrestled from 13 to call it 19. Zero. You go to record that zero concussions. I've had concussions. Told a story here before. 
playing Harvard junior year. We threw a pick because Columbia. I've seen it on film. I'm covering the pass. I get cleaned out. My, my head goes down. My feet go up. It's one of those. My next clear memory is turning to my left tackle. Is getting yelled at, excuse me, on the bench by uh, our coach. I almost said his name. It's not really important. And I turn to my left tackle and I say, hey, man, why is he yelling at me? He said, you missed a block on, on draw. We called it sketch, but that doesn't matter to you. And I said, my last clear memory was the pick, man. He says, that was two series ago. I looked him dead in the eye. I said, we never had this conversation. And it never came up again. Now, I wanted to play. Did that make it a good idea? When I'm watching my teammates get shot up to, to go back out there, does that make that a good idea because we wanted it? And again, I ask, if that's happening at Columbia University where no one cares, please take two seconds and think about what's happening at these universities where they are not disclosing the number of COVID positives. Plus, I think it's a good year for me to skip college football, honestly. I'm looking at news out of Athens, and I've never been more embarrassed to be a Georgia fan, and I'm going to try to not get as worked up as I did on Saturday. University of Georgia will have a jersey patch, two jersey patches this year. The first one is for racial equity or equality, whatever they want to call it. I'm all for it. I like it. The patch for that is very good. Together, equality emblem on the state of Georgia on the left shoulder. It's that right shoulder that um, we really got to talk about. Those who don't know, Georgia is celebrating its 40th anniversary of its 1980 national championship team with a patch commemorating 40 years. What they're essentially saying is we haven't won the national title in 40 years. In a season where they vie for their third straight SEC title. Or at least East. I think they lost it last year. SEC East title. Does not matter. There is success in this program. But to say, oh, there's a lot of success, but we haven't had the big one since, you know, 1980. And we're going to put it on our jerseys? Imagine celebrating this. When your rivals, which is, I'm using the term rivals loosely because I want to include Tech. Tennessee, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. 18 national titles in the last 40 years. Georgia, we do have a patch. And also, they're bringing back the goddamn black jerseys. And the black jerseys are dope. They look great. Two big mistakes here. One, the black jerseys, they're part of my worst Georgia football memory. Because if you're a Georgia fan, you remember the three times that I even talked about that we won. In 07, they wore them for the very first time in a 45-20 win over Auburn. 28 short points in the last quarter and a half. Beautiful game. That postseason, they played Sugar Bowl. They played in the Sugar Bowl against Hawaii in a season that I do believe they should have been national champions. Take it to the bank. And um, that Hawaii Sugar Bowl is one of the drunker situations I've ever been in. Because I had a friend who was not a Georgia fan. He was a something else fan. And he bet me a large sum of money for 2008, Daniel, that at Hawaii would stay within 10. Go Google that game. Boy, look. That's one of the most fun I've ever had. And my friend was a bartender. So guess what I said to him? I looked him dead in the eye. I said, after I win this money off you, I'm going to come spend it in your bar tonight. And I did. 
And you're thinking to yourself, Deepalm, those are two great memories, man. What are you talking about with the la with the bad memories? Glad you asked. 2008, I'm living in a pretty dope house with a couple of my friends. I invite a bunch of people over, including my big brother, to watch Georgia play Alabama under the lights in Athens. Couldn't get tickets, stayed at home, had a bunch of people over. Full spread, booze, food, the whole nine yards. Go Google that game. When I tell you I kicked these people out of my home in the middle of the first quarter, I'm not exaggerating. That shit hurt. That, mm, that's my worst. Yeah, that's my worst football Georgia loss. That one, that sucked. The number three team in the nation got absolutely rolled by Mark Ingram in these here. Crimson Tide. 31 nothing at the half. I, you know what? I'm going to stop. Go Google it yourself. You'll understand why I'm so upset about this. But they're bringing those back, and they're adding spike collars to their jersey because we're a MAC team, apparently. I just, I'm really glad I can walk away from college football. Before I walked away, I was sent a bunch of clips about the very first college game day of the year. You saw it was basically... The resistance as college football. Kirk, excuse me, Lee Corso on air on national television said we should not be playing college football. Kirk Herbstreit fell off his ass and realized that racism is racist and cried about the mistreatment of black people. And then the coverage of that became about the white man's tears more than the thing he was crying about. That's typical. That's par for the course. I get that. My question is, Kirk Herbstreit was one of those voices who said these players kneeling shouldn't be allowed to play. His tears are interesting. I find that his journey is more newsworthy. And when it was covered, when it was broken down, it was investigated, I understood that this is the lens we're going to go through. But no one asked him about the journey. No one asked him how we got here. Because there's a way to do this. There's a very good way to do this. There's an easy way to do this. You can do this. You can tell this story. Uh, the quarterback for the Lions, Matt Stafford, former Bulldog. He didn't necessarily say, oh, I believed one thing and I changed, but he did express, and I would invite everyone to go read his post on um, whatever. What is there? It's not The Athletic. Players Tribune. Go read that story because it's it's frank. It's honest. It's It's he investigates his privilege, explains specific instances through which he was forced to reevaluate the things he believed, and he walks us through what he believes on the other side. Again, football players, man, y'all can hate them all you want, call them dumb all you want. They spent three years on the college campus. They can formulate an argument. And that's what Matt Stafford did. He's like, look, guys, this is fucking ridiculous. Matt Stafford's from Highland Park, Dallas, Texas. It is if you're familiar with Buckhead in Atlanta, that's about right. It's those people. That tax bracket. Whole lot of Trump. But guess what? Matt Stafford's like, look, this is fucking ridiculous. So y'all listen to us. I hope they listen to him. So, in lieu of having a whole bunch of NCAA coverage this uh, season, we're going to be leaning a bit more in the NFL. That means the podcast may be coming out on Wednesdays or Tuesdays. That also means that... I could talk about black shit, because I don't know if y'all noticed, but if you looked up on uh, opening day this year, there were 10 black quarterbacks starting in the NFL. 
That's a third of the fucking league. Teddy Bridgewater, Dwayne Haskins, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, D Dak Prescott, Tyrod Taylor, Deshaun Watson, Russie Russ Wilson. So if you're hearing those names, those aren't just names. Those aren't just guys. This isn't Nathan Peterman. These are fucking guys, man. These are important players for important teams. Difference makers. And what I hate about being old and curmudgeon and cynical is that now I'm couching all of my excitement with yeah, how many black backups are there? Because that is true quarterback equality. When the Nathan Petermans of the world can stay in the league because John Gruden sees something in him. But you don't see that with black quarterbacks. By and large, I'm sure everyone's got, oh, what about, that's fine. Jameis, eh, Jameis had to take a pay cut. Jameis is making less than the guy behind him. And pay cut, that's actually, yeah, that's actually fairly interesting. Because you look at some of the pay. Quarterbacks who signed deals for more guaranteed money than Cameron Newton in this offseason. Andy Dalton, Blaine Gabbert, Colt McCoy, Jeff Driscoll, Chase Daniel, Marcus Mariota, Case Keenum, A.J. McCarron, A.J. McCarron, Matt Schaub still in the league, Matt Barkley, and the Peter Man himself. For those who weren't sure, Matt Schaub is actually the Falcons backup because everything works full circle. Now, I'm not saying all these quarterbacks are worse than Cam Newton. Actually, yes, the fuck I am. It's an embarrassment. And all this, like, hand-wringing, like, how did we look? Uh, Belichick get Cam. The article you write about that, one word, racism. And there are lots of bell was, there are lots of uh, dog was, no, 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 we didn't know about Cam. Sure, no, 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 no doctors could investigate. Hey, whoa. I watched Nick Foles get a shit ton of money thrown at him to not beat out old buddy in Chicago. You give me that kind of money and you can't beat out Mitchell Trubisky? They're paying Alex Smith his full freight to rehab on their dime in Washington. So miss me with some of that nonsense, please. And what's crazy is I should hate Cam Newton. Cam Newton went to Westlake High School here in Atlanta, Georgia which means he probably beat my high school team a lot. Cam Newton then went to Florida. We all know how I feel about Florida. He then went to Auburn and dragged an Auburn offense that had exactly zero fellow players play one snap of NFL football to an undefeated national championship season. And for those of you who are not college football fans, not only to win at Auburn, to do so with no other talent around you on offense, and to do so in one year. It's the single greatest college football performance of all time. And he beat Georgia to do it, and I should hate him. He then drafted by the Panthers, where he horrified me twice a year. And now he's a fucking patriot. The... But he makes all the racists so mad that I can't. I can't hate him the way I want to. Why couldn't y'all just leave the racism at home? You know how much more fun, how much more fulfilled I would be if I could just openly hate this motherfucker? But no. I found myself cheering for Cameron fucking Newton on a Sunday night football game because y'all can't act right. 
And I know Boston's torn right now. Boston Harden. Ooh, buddy, y'all confused as hell. Because when he uncorked those like three or four balls that let him throw down the middle, <laughs> that ball made a noise. His shoulder's fine. Everybody's like, oh, is the Bell just going to run the beer option for now? Wait till week about seven, seven, eight. Whole different offense, baby. Hope you're all really, really, really happy with how we've gotten here. Speaking of here, let's talk about it. So, the Falcons, Falcons. What do you want from me? You want anger? Don't have any. You want hatred? God, I'm out. Because I threw my phone across the room in the third quarter of week one. I said, last year it took me four games. I was in for four games. After game four, I said, I'm out on this team. It took me three quarters this year. They're like, oh, D-bomb, how about that collapse against the Cowboys? Guess what, guys? I didn't watch it. I'm real in my shit. I'll be a fan, but I, I don't have to give you my time. I was finishing up a binge of uh, Mr. Robot. It's a surprisingly more uplifting and like life-affirming movie or show than you'd think. It does start super dark, but it's like the fallout of what if we kept watching Fight Club. Really enjoyed it. Highly recommend all the first three seasons, I believe, are on Netflix or Hulu. And then the last season on the USA app. So, yeah, give it a shot. We're all in quarantine. You're looking for things to watch. But I was watching the game on the Game Tracker. And you can see it on my Twitter timeline. It's still there. With X number of time left, the Game Tracker gave... The Falcons a 99% chance of winning that bat football game. I just tweeted, does anybody believe this shit? And what did they do? What did they do? Sure, everyone's talking about the onside kick and how embarrassing that was and how do you players not jump on that and how is no one fired? All very valid questions. But for me, for me, it's the six, it's the 30 points allowed in the second half. It's the 16 in the fourth quarter. 440, I think it was 441 times a team had scored 39 or more points and not had a turnover. Those teams have never lost. Falcons making history, baby. Changing the world. What an embarrassment. These Falcons are. <sighs> Hope y'all enjoyed that. You got my hatred. You got my pain. Now take my celebration. Because last week, the Los Angeles Clippers were supposed to be next. They're supposed to be the dynasty. They'll reshape the NBA. They're supposed to be a collection of talent that was undeniable. Their uh, perimeter defense was impregnable. And they're, they're the two best players. But <laughs> They were sending tweets to people who were getting eliminated like they had actually done something. I'm 35 years old, man. The Clippers have never made in the conference finals in my lifetime. They make it before, and they won't make it after my lifetime. You know why? Because they're the Clippers. Because they mortgage their entire future to get Paul George. You can check the archives, baby. I was down on this deal the second it happened. I told everyone, I said, I don't believe in this Clippers nonsense. Patrick Beverly's a difference maker. Maybe. Lemon Pepper Lou. I don't know. 
Big Two got two points in the second half of an elimination game after blowing two other elimination games with big leads. The reports are now coming out because singing chips. Paul George tried to have a team meeting after the game and tell everyone to stay committed and stay focused. And these jokers rolled their eyes and laughed at him because, honestly, he's Paul George. How could you not? How could you not? And they're going to bring back Doc. They kind of have to because, honestly, both those guys can opt out after two year, after next year. And if they do, you're going to want some sort of stability. But how do you bring him back? I, you have to, but you can't. I, that's where I am with that, man. I have to, but they can't. Um, also eliminated in the West, the Rockets. And, again, I repeat myself from last year. I don't ever want to hear about James Harden again, ever, about anything. We're good. It's over. I'm done. They rebuilt the team on the fly because they fired all D'Antoni's assistants and they were able to find a way to make the second round of the playoffs and lose again. But now they've got to bring someone in to manage this mismatched jump bunch of misfits. I don't know if they can do it. D'Antoni is rumored for the Philly job. I don't know how I feel about that. But we're going to see how it turns out for him. I don't think he's done in the NBA. He's done in Houston, and that's because Tillman Fertitta doesn't have enough money to pay him. Yeah, the story is, oh, he's not coming back, but guess what? Tillman's money is tied up in gambling and restaurants. Take a look outside. What ain't really happening right now? Gambling and restaurants. We now head to the East before I get to the conference finals in the West. And if you think it's okay to ask questions about the Clippers, it has to be okay to ask questions about the Bucks. We don't know what's going to happen with the Bucks. Everyone says, oh, oh, Giannis says he's coming back. He says that. Is he? They're bringing back Coach Bud. Should they? They've indicated they're willing to pay the luxury tax. But if I'm honest, do I trust your decision-making on team building when I look around me? Hmm. Seems like fair questions. And last but certainly not least from the second round, tip of the cap to the, to the Raptors, who made it just as far as Kawhi's new team without him. Who really lost here? Let's go to the finals now because we sit right now. It is currently Heat 2, Boston 1. Game 3 went to Boston, and I honestly think that this might have been a big, bigger turning point than we, we recognize immediately. Because Game 1 had the double overtime. It had Bam teaching an entire generation of children what onomatopoeia means. It had a big comeback. Game two, another big comeback, getting down these holes. Game three, they couldn't quite get out of that hole. You had the embarrassing thing with uh, uh, Gordon Hayward in the picture. I don't know if you saw this clip. The Celtics tweeted out a picture of Gordon Hayward, who's coming back off an ankle injury and fatigues in a wheelchair with a ridiculous Gordon Hayward quote beneath it. He should be able to sue them for that. That, that was embarrassing and horrible. But it's going to be a good series. It's going to be a fun series. And this Lakers-Nuggets thing, I'm not – I refuse to count out the Nuggets by any stretch of the imagination. It's a great basketball team. Nikola Jokic is some sort of playoff monster. But when you lose a game the way they lost game two on that shot to Anthony Davis screaming Kobe in your face, it's a big hole to dig out of. And not just the kind that the Heat keep digging out of. This is a emotional that, – that you, you did what you do. You brought it back. You smoked these cats in the second half. LeBron looked very pedestrian down the stretch. And they still beat you. It's gotta ask. Question's gotta get asked. And speaking of LeBron, the King LeBronica, the season, 
Shout out to the NBA for letting him play game one on the same day he did not win MVP and was forced to be asked, how do you feel about the voting totals? Of course it pisses him off. He says, oh, Giannis is deserving. Of course he deserves Giannis. Is... You're not talking about the top of this league and not be deserving. And you can look at the 82 or, or 65 I think, games he got in and say, oh, Giannis is the clear MVP. And that's fine. And you don't your numbers by LeBron. I look at the way LeBron nurtured Anthony Davis, that relationship, and his playmaking. I look at, you ever calls LeBron a shadow GM while he's in the conference finals. When the Lakers decided not to play the day after Kobe passed, couldn't play the Clippers, he made the call. It wasn't Polinka. It wasn't Jeannie Buss. So I understand this frustration. He can't say that shit. He can't be like, look at what I do here. He cannot say that shit. But he can think it, he can feel it. And so for them to get an honest answer on him, and you heard some of the uh, other people on his team, Vogel, AD kind of take a bit more aggressive stance, but LeBron's not allowed to take aggressive. He's not allowed to be loud about how good he is. I understand that. But man, he's going to be gone one day. And y'all going to miss him. Because there'll be no more celebration of LeBron again. That's it, guys. Uh, quick show for you this week. We're going to be back on Sunday morning. We're going to do a Clash of Champions preview with Aaron on Saturday. It's going to be up Sunday morning. And then we'll be back to a more regular schedule going forward next week into the fall. We'll be covering a lot more NFL and a lot more NBA. It's clearly a sports nirvana. we got all these things happening at once. And did you know baseball's almost done? Neither did I. That was your show. See you guys next week.